Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, A55 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past and present and to acknowledge that this land was stolen, that sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show... We showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. My guest today is a compulsive gambler who's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. I'd like to welcome Todd back to the show again. Hi, Todd. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Great to have you back. We're privileged to have you on the show back in 2018, so it's been another five years of GA recovery for you that we can catch up on. But first, uh, would you like to share a bit about your um, early gambling story with us, Todd? Well, Bill, not a problem. Well, my first bet occurred when I was nine years old, and that was at the grounds with my father. My father had some issues with gambling, and, and anyway, I used to go with him to the grounds uh, on a Monday night or different days. And anyway, one day I was sort of badgering him, or one night I was badgering him to to let me have a bet. So he did on a race, and, and I can remember the whole experience like it was yesterday. And ultimately I can remember the Greyhound's name, the odds, all sorts of things. And ultimately what happened was that my Greyhound won, my dad's lost, and I was absolutely euphoric. And... And I think that part of me has tried to recreate that feeling every time that I gambled. But being a compulsive gambler, once I start gambling, I can't stop until basically all the money runs out. So anyway, I had that experience. And then throughout high school, I didn't really have any gambling problems. My friends and I used to gamble a bit on the football or we'd play cards, etc. But once I got my first full-time job, that's when I started, my gambling started to get out of control. And uh, there were many, many times where during during those early periods of compulsive gambling where I would get paid and all my money could be gone within five minutes of me walking into a TAB because I'd put all my money on one horse. And if it won, well, obviously... I would continue gambling and then uh, if it lost, well, I had no money. And there were quite a few times where I did that initially, but probably after maybe, I don't know, six months or a year of, of me starting to really gamble out of control, that's when I really started to have a lot of issues in my life and I would steal off anyone that I could. I started working in stockbroking and merchant banking when I first left school and and I was given... The responsibility sometimes to pay the boss's bills, etc. And there were times where I would have gambled all that money and, and not paid the bills. So so anyway, fast forwarding a little bit, I, I attended my first meeting of Gamblers Anonymous when I was 19 years old out in Box Hill. And, and I was pretty much, well, not forced to go, but I was given the option to go. And the reason why I did go was because my friend's mother, who was familiar with Al-Anon, offered me a house to stay if I went to Gamblers Anonymous because I was homeless. Part of my gambling uh, consequences was that I, I was homeless many, many times and I'd sleep in brotherhood bins or meander the streets all night or sometimes I used to sleep in the trains at the old Spencer Street uh, shunt yard. So anyway, I got to my first meeting and unfortunately what I did was I listened to all the differences rather than the similarities. And there were, there were a lot of differences, but there were also a lot of similarities. And anyway, what happened was eventually uh, I did go back to gambling many, many times after my initial meeting. And we have the 20 questions in Gamblers Anonymous, which sort of helps people decide whether they are a compulsive gambler or not. And there were some questions in amongst those that I could answer no to. I can't remember now which ones they actually were. But anyway, I was told that if I was a compulsive gambler and I went back to gambling, 
that I would eventually answer yes to all those 20 questions. And that turned out to be exactly the case for me. And question 20 of those of those questions is, have you ever considered suicide or self-destruction as a result of your gambling? And the, the reality of my gambling was that I answered yes to that uh, many times eventually because there were times where I thought that ultimately I would never, ever be able to stop gambling. So anyway, uh, I attended Gamblers Anonymous on a sporadic basis for those first couple of years, but pretty much since about 1992 to 93, I've attended Gamblers Anonymous on a regular basis. And uh, my last bet was on the 6th of March 2003, so I haven't gambled now for over 20 years. But uh, from 92 to 2003, uh, I got different periods of abstinence. I got one year for one year abstinence at one stage. I got five years of abstinence on another at another time as well, uh, and eventually, but eventually, what happened was I went back to gambling because I wasn't really recovering; I was just abstaining. And my history shows me, and the history that I've listened to in others is that whenever I've busted, uh, I've always had the same same sort of thought process, and that was that um, I'm only going to have one bet; I'll go in and win, and uh, walk away. Uh, but the problem is, as I said earlier, being a compulsive gambler, once I start gambling, I don't stop until all the money runs out. And basically, if I win, I can add a zero or two to my bets. And then if I lose, I take a zero or, zero or two off until there's nothing left. Yeah, so anyway, on the 6th of March of 2003, I was in the same situation that I'd been in many, many times before. I was about to become homeless. I was about to lose my job. Nobody wanted to know me, none of my friends or my family. They had absolutely jettisoned me out of their life, and and with, with good reason too, as I sit here now. I, I, I didn't think it was good reason at the time, but but anyway, so so this, on the 6th of March, I, I came to GA, because, and I basically went to GA, not really because I was sort of, because of my gambling in, in some respects, it was just the fact that I was completely lonely and had no one to talk to, so... I went to the GA meeting and then basically what happened from there on is that for the first six months, I went to at least 13 GA meetings a week, physical meetings, and I didn't let anything or anyone get in the way of my, my desire to stop gambling. And And what I've noticed was that my desire to stop gambling and my desperation to gamble was replaced with just as much desperation to stop gambling. So... Not only did I go to all those meetings, but I used to help out in on the phone lines for GA and go into the office, etc. So that's sort of pretty much how I got to GA and where I am now in a nutshell. Yeah, thank you. That was a very detailed rundown of, of it all. Uh, I just wanted to take you back a little bit to growing up and things. So did you have a happy childhood? Yeah, reasonably happy. I would say I've got three sisters. Um, my mum and dad did divorce when I was 13, but uh, yeah, I had a reasonable childhood. Nothing, there was no uh, abuse or anything like that at all, but uh, my father was was an old, what you'd call an old ocker, Aussie ocker, so to speak, so he never really had much praise for me. I was fairly fairly good at school and sport, but uh, I'd have get A's on my report, and he would he, his first comment would be something along the lines of, oh, why didn't you get an A-plus or... If I made 70, 80 runs on, in, a, in a cricket game, was why didn't you make 90 or 100 or et cetera, et cetera. The, I never really got any praise for, from him for anything, really. Yeah. Uh, but but other than that, everything was fine. I mean, we used to fight with my sisters a bit from time to time, and which is funny now because my sister's ruining that because her children are playing up. But anyway... Yeah, so my childhood was was fine. We 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 moved around a lot. We're itinerant in so to speak, and I think I went to four different primary schools. Yeah, it was four. So, and part of the reason for that was because my dad, as I think I mentioned earlier, my dad had major issues with gambling. But um, yeah, so yeah, it was okay. Could have been better, but it could have been far worse for sure. Yeah. What about friendships and things? Did you find it difficult to make friends going to so many schools? Not really, no. No. Uh, well, at one I did. We I went to Yarra Glen Primary School and we lived there for just on a year and my mum and dad owned a milk bar there and myself and my sisters weren't really accepted there for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but 
um, we're only there for nine months, I think. And and anyway, but yeah, I, I, other than that, um, the other three schools I went to, I didn't have um, any issues with making friends. And not only that, I've still got some one or two people in my life back from my early high school days. Yep. So on friends, did you gamble with any of your friends? Uh, well, yeah, I did. Uh, well, what's interesting is when you go to GA and listen to so many different people, your eyes are open to some issues that I wouldn't have thought of. Like, for instance, I heard somebody talking about how they started gambling when they were five or six years old playing marbles. And I'd never really thought of that as being gambling. I mean, it, the, the whole thought hadn't gone into my mind until I heard that. And then when I, when I think about it, I think, well, that actually is a form of gambling. So, yeah, so I was doing that. Uh, on a regular basis with my friends, but that's just sort of what we did. And and obviously, being so young, I didn't really think about it that way. But uh, all I can say about the marbles, so to speak, is that I wouldn't do it today because I know I do recognise that it is gambling. And then and then we used to gamble on the football a little bit, put a couple of dollars on you know, on Mad Collingwood support. I don't know if I can say that or not. <laughs> I think you can. Yeah, okay. Well, I just did anyway, but um, yes. So I used to gamble on the football a little bit, but nothing out of control, uh, so to speak. I do remember once I started gambling compulsively, I was working as a stockbroker uh, at 18 and, and I got a mid-year bonus. It was enough to buy a car. Um, it was quite amazing how much money I got. And anyway, what I did was I got that money on a Friday and I bought a new brand new three-piece suit and I went out and took some friends out for dinner and then the next day I went to the races with a friend of mine and I lost all the rest of my money and so did he and we had to, actually had to get his dad to come and pick us up because we had absolutely no money to get home so yeah that's that's about all I can say about that well I could say a lot more but yeah I, I know there are time constraints as well <laughs> yes yeah that's right so Going to work then, did you have any difficulties working with your gambling? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, as I said, I was working in stockbroking and merchant banking probably for the first four or five years of my working working history. And uh, yeah, there were there were many times where um, I'd go and gamble during lunchtime, and and then I'd be away for three hours and come back. Or I'd get into work in the morning and do as much work as I could in a couple of hours' time. And then sometimes I'd feign sickness uh, so I could go go and gamble. So it, it really did really affect my my working working life. And I've, I've I lost many jobs, um, some for stealing from compuls sorry from from employers. Sometimes I got the sack because I wasn't turning up on a regular basis because I may not have slept very well the night before and been awake maybe all night, and then I'd always find the best time I could sleep was when I actually had to get out of bed and go to work. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was really, really difficult at times because uh, I used to think that I could do eight hours work in three hours, which just is not logical and, and, and not a reality, really, but that's what I used to believe. Um, yeah, so there were times I'd go out for lunch and just not turn not come back at all yeah yeah I, and and also about that just just something good is that one employer i stole money from one employer back in about 1995 96 and i got re-employed by him in 2004 and worked for him as a sales rep for just you know, just a little bit under 10 years and during that time i had the keys to the place i could have done exactly the same thing i'd done before but what I did find was after my last bet that there was most people that I had affected were actually very, very welcoming towards me when because they could see that I was changing as a person and that I wasn't full of crap. And yeah, it was it was amazing how, how much forgiveness I was afforded by other people. And, and and I think that's because they could see that I had a genuine desire to stop gambling. I, I also do remember one of my friends saying to me not long after my last bet, he said that you could tell that it was something different because uh, this time around I didn't find, I, I didn't crack jokes or make any any sort of remarks about 
my my problems and making light of them and and he he noticed that and he said that to me and i thought oh yeah that's that's pretty good so i i've had i had to get to the stage where or being almost militant with me not gambling in that uh, like for instance when we have the first tuesday in november there are lots of people that want to talk about what's going on and uh, and i just i can't afford to listen to any of that because if i do i'll start thinking about the good times that i had gambling rather than the 99 percent times that i didn't so yeah i had to i've had to tell people where to go at times because they might start talking and then i say look i'm not interested or whatever and then they'll, they'll say, oh, yeah, okay, but blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and there was another time where I had to walk out on a prospective client that I was trying to land. And uh, fortunately, my boss, which is the same boss that I alluded to earlier, who who really employed me, he, he knew that I was a compulsive gambler and he was more than fine to for me to do that And because there was other people that could pick up the slack. And then I, re- I, I finally realised that the most important issue in my life was first of all to stop gambling and then recover um and yeah i I just can't afford to listen to any people talk positively about their gambling because let's face it and i was the same it doesn't matter where people whether people are compulsive gamblers or not they'll only tell you about their wins (laughs) really you know so um yeah so i got to be really careful about that i don't watch gambling commercials i flick the channel uh yeah, all, all that sort of stuff. I, don't, I haven't read. I used to read the Herald Sun every day. I haven't, I haven't touched the Herald Sun since the sixth of March of two thousand and three, because I found that uh, eventually I'd always go back to the form guide that they had in the middle. Um, so yeah, that's some of the extra parts that I've had to do in order to uh, remain free of gambling. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Okay, well, listen, we might take a short break there. Our first song um, is by Kim O'Leary. And it's called I Came Back. And the song is courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project.
Cheryl and Troy have been married for more than 25 years. They spent 10 of those years living on the streets of Melbourne addicted to heroin. In a groundbreaking collaboration, photographer and writer Ali MC conveys the couple's compelling narrative in an audio-visual installation and photographic audiobook. H, A Love Story launches at Richmond Library on Wednesday, August 9 at 6.30pm. Entry is free and all are welcome. H, A Love Story, a project about love, heroin and homelessness on the streets of Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a in a completely violent um, cultural milieu, that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the. How the can country? people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation, where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there? And, such conflict every single day of their lives. Accented Women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Every Monday from 11am on Community Radio 3CR. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, uh, you can find them on your preferred podcast platform, or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email, or Twitter. And today we're talking with Todd about compulsive gambling and his recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, Todd, before the break, we were talking about work and gambling and the uh, I guess the impact it had on you you, you mentioned um, homelessness and loss of jobs and things so would you like just to talk a bit about uh, I guess how how those things happened to you and I guess um, some of the things you took away from from those those experiences and you know how that impacted you Sure, sure. So, well, the homelessness, it, it, it's pretty simple, really, in that uh, if you don't pay rent, people kick you out. So, uh, yeah, but my, my issues were when I was about 18, I think, yeah, when I was 18, I became homeless for the first time. And it was very, very difficult. Um, and unfortunately, I became home, was homeless many other times as a result. So, I sort of, in a way, got used to it. But, um, yeah, there were many, many times where people would give me chances. Like I'd, I'd be fairly honest with my compulsive gambling to people once, once my irres- irresponsibility uh, became apparent. So I would endeavour to try and pay my bills and to stay in the one place, but ultimately the the allure of gambling was just so much stronger, and it was really difficult for me to to try and stop that so um yeah the homelessness happened for years and years and years on end um it wasn't as if i was homeless all the time for years and years on end it would be homeless for a week here or a couple of weeks there maybe a couple of months at times um i've stayed in a few different places which were quite eye-opening and and sort of scary in a way um i slept in a place called osnam house which is no longer um, open and uh, that was a terrible experience uh, in a few different ways but uh, yeah so there were many times when I was homeless where I thought to myself I'll never gamble again after this this is a really good lesson and but unfortunately I did I did keep keep on going um, and and since my last bet I mean well now I'm in the same place I've been in for three years and I think my rent's been paid on time every single time since 2014 um, I, I also have bipolar built, so um, as a result of that, state trustees are actually my financial power of attorney. So they look after all my financial affairs, which is pretty good. So they pay my rent and all my bills, obviously out of my money, not theirs. And, yeah, I, I've, I've found that really, really helpful because um, having bipolar and also being a compulsive gambler, I still really don't understand the true value of money, I don't think. 
And even after my last bet, when I wasn't gambling and I was a sales rep and I was earning well, well in excess of $100,000 a year. And even though I wasn't gambling, I just find that I'd be spending my money all the time on, on items. Um, I'm a bit of a hoarder now because after having nothing for so many for so long, like for instance, on the 6th of March of 2003, I could put pretty much all my belongings in a single Coles plastic bag. So, um, so yeah, I tend to hold on to a lot of stuff now. Well, I guess you, I guess you can buy it, and I guess you can keep it. Whereas if you're homeless, it's and you know have don't have a job, you, it's very hard to to have the money to buy it, and it's very hard to keep it if you've got to keep on moving. That's exactly right. It, it, I couldn't have said it better myself. The other thing I was sort of interested in is um, talking to other gamblers about the difficulties they faced during COVID and the, I, I guess, the um, particularly lockdowns and stuff and not being able to go to face-to-face meetings of Gamblers Anonymous and I guess the, the lure of something to do. So yeah. did, you, did you find it more difficult in that constrained situation? Not really, no, no, not as far as me abstaining and recovering from gambling is concerned. All my bipolar, I actually when it, when I look back on on all that COVID period and all the lockdowns, I think there's been there's been a massive silver lining to all of that, and that is that uh, there are so many meetings run on Zoom these days, whether it be Gamblers Anonymous or my bipolar support group or whatever. And before COVID, um, there was no such, really no, no, no Zoom meetings at all for for GA members. And and what's amazing now is that I attend I attend at least one American meeting based a uh, US Zoom meeting every week without fail. Uh, there's meetings on now all the time. Whether it just doesn't matter what time it is. I stayed up for the cricket last week. The till 4.30 in the morning and then I decided to do a, a meeting based in England at 4.30 in the morning our time here. Uh, so so there's been a really big silver lining. Uh, one, something that I did notice was once once the restrictions eased, I sort of really became lazy with attending physical meetings. I mean, I've always, I've always been very careful since my last bet to attend at least one meeting every week without fail. Uh, there's been the odd occasion where I haven't, but mo- I, I can count pretty much nearly every single time as either because I was in a geographical location that prevented me from being doing a meeting and or I was in hospital, for, and I've been in hospital for a few different reasons. So, yeah, so the, the, I know a lot of people lament the, the COVID lockdowns and everything, but I, I look at it, at it as a positive, a positive um, situation uh, I, as as far as thinking about gambling or something like that during COVID, I, my my mind was pretty similar to what it had been before. It was COVID was COVID happened, so to speak, and so there was a time back in 21, 2021 where I attended over a hundred meetings in less than sixty days. So it's just it's it's really fantastic that we can that I can go to a meeting pretty much anywhere in the world. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I, I've had sort of similar similar um, results to you, really, that mm. before COVID, almost nobody went to an online meeting. Yep. And then during COVID, almost everybody went to an online meeting. Yeah. And it sort of changed everybody's perception that, re- yeah, and, and I've been in meetings where people have come in to their first meeting and being able to stay and and get recovery, um, and it really is just amazing that you can do that over an online meeting. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is. It's fantastic. And and, and sort of what's well, not amazing. I'm not sure how to describe it, but what's interesting is that it doesn't matter where the where the meeting is based, whether it's in America or or UK. Their history and situations through gambling are just the same as anywhere else in the world. So it doesn't matter where you're from or what you do or what you look like, etc. Uh, it can it can bite anybody. Yeah, and to know that you can go to a meeting in another country and there's no um, there's no barriers. Yeah, 
no artificial barriers yeah 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 so yeah so yeah i'll just say it again but yeah i i just think that the covid really did help in that way for sure <laughs> you mentioned bipolar again yep. so do you want to talk about you know that and gambling are, are difficult things but going through you know covid did covid uh, and the lockdowns have any impact on on you in that regard oh they did a little um to what extent, I'm really not 100% sure, partly because I've sort of forgotten some of it. Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, how can I say it? I think that the bipolar wasn't really exacerbated much, except for when I had my dog, one of my dogs died in 2020, so that really sort of set me off, and I got shingles and an infected toe all at the same time, so I wasn't feeling very well around that time. Uh, but the lockdowns really didn't affect my bipolar much. Probably, probably the only the only thing it really affected me in is that my housemate was home all the time, so I, I, I never got never got any time to myself at home. And, uh, and and he's from a different state, doesn't really know people around here, so he's pretty much home all the time. Um, yeah, so that was a bit. I did find that a little annoying. Uh, we get along fine. It's nothing to do with him personally. It's just that sometimes I like my own space and my own time. I think we all do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I'm sure he does too. So, but it really didn't affect me much, so to speak. It was sort of, or the same, the same as usual, so to speak. Really. Yeah. But I mean, it it did make it a little worse in the fact that I couldn't go and see my friends. But that was the same for everybody. So. Uh, yeah, there was nothing special that happened as a result of that. Did you find any of your friends in GA uh, dropped out or had difficulties? Uh, well, there were some people that don't like Zoom meetings. Uh, I think they might be termed as technophobes, so to speak. And what we've found since the meetings have restarted is that there a lot of a lot of the people that were coming beforehand aren't coming anymore. Now I'm not really sure why that is, but there's only two positions they could be in, either they're gambling or they're not. Yeah, so the numbers have sort of dropped off in a lot of the meetings. The meeting I go to, my physical meeting, we've actually sort of increased uh, numbers, but by and large, the, the numbers unfortunately for GA have dropped off. Uh, there's been quite a few meetings that had to had to close completely because uh, predominantly uh, most of our meetings are at churches because they charge very little rent. But there were some some places that just refused to have people from the outside. And the main reason for that, they basically said, was because they didn't have enough money to get everything cleaned uh, properly after COVID. So. Yeah, so it has it. It's had a positive effect, but it's also had a negative effect as well. Uh, and I've got to say, personally, I, I became very lazy attending physical meetings after the the restrictions finish, as I think I mentioned earlier. Yeah. But uh, I still did the Zoom meetings, but I just sort of thought, you know, I'm really getting lazy here. This could be dangerous. So probably in the last three months I've been attending physical meetings on a regular basis as well as my Zoom meetings. And, and on top of that, I've actually just become secretary of the of the meeting, the physical meeting that I go to as well, which basically means I've got to set up or help people get set up, run the meeting or get somebody else to chair the meeting and just deal with any issues that might arise as a result. So, um, yeah, that's that's definitely helpful as well, which is called service work. So, um, yeah, that's really beneficial. Yep. Um, we'll talk about service work then. Um, do you want to talk about the, the importance of service work in getting you, I guess, to take GA seriously? Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I did very little service work up until the date of my last bet. And then since the date of my last bet, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, but yeah, I've done a lot of service work um, that mainly by answering phones and or putting in a presence at, the, at our old office. We don't have a physical sort of office anymore of GA, unfortunately. Yeah, so I found the service work is really, really rewarding because what it does is it enables me to be able to help other people and and I can remember a long, long time ago when I was struggling with gambling that 
a member said to me that once I started to recover, I'd be able to help other people. And and I thought I thought that would never happen because I couldn't help myself. So if I couldn't help myself, how on earth was I going to ever help anybody else? But that same person also reminded me that something that I never had thought of before, and I don't think a lot of newer members do either, and that is that every time I share my recovery and my story with other with other GA members, I'm actually helping them straight away. And when I was at the depths of despair, I had no idea that that could actually occur. So uh, doing that was really, really rewarding. Uh, helping other people, just just an amazing feeling to be able to guide somebody in, in a different direction than what they've been through before. And, and there's a saying, you, you don't have it until you give it away. And 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 I really believe that. So being able to help others is really is probably probably the equal most rewarding experience that I've had uh, not gambling because it's just really nice to be able to see that you you're able to change other people and and help them at the same time, which is which is great. Yeah, it is. It's a good feeling. I'll I'll agree. Um, okay, we'll we'll take another short break there. Our second song is by Cassidy Ray, and it's called One More Song, and the song is courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Crowd is jumping, bass is thumping underneath your lights. Amp is humming, guitar strumming, and damn it feels right.
need an extra layer for the cooler months? We've got great new long sleeve tops that proudly say Workers Radio. Available now online or at the station. Perfect for layering when you're out on the street. They'll have you picket line ready for winter. At $40, you'll get a great quality shirt ethically and locally manufactured by Qualitops in Reservoir. Order now and we'll post one out for $8.50. Or you can pick it up from the station. Buy one online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Or come into the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Merhaba. Bugün nasılsınız? A Turkish eco-feminist approach to dismantle the toxic misconception of the good immigrant. Intrigued? Well, so are we. The Good Immigrant is broadcasted in Turkish every Thursday between 6.30pm to 7pm. Tell your friends and family, because you have a date with Özesuen Özgü. 3CR, 8.55am, Thursdays, 6.30pm to 7pm. See you all then. Welcome back. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And today we're talking with Todd about compulsive gambling and his recovery recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So, Todd, you've talked, um, we just finished talking a bit about service and the benefits of service. So do you want to talk about how your recovery has allowed you to reconnect with people and, you know, change your relationships and the effect that's had on your relationship with your family? Yes, yeah, sure. Well, when I look at it, one of one of the problems, I could say problems, but also one of the benefits in a way of my compulsive gambling was that I affected every single person I came across. It didn't matter whether I worked for them, didn't matter whether I played cricket with them, it didn't matter whether it was my family or my friends. But I, I, I just ripped off pretty much anyone and everyone I possibly could. So what, when I say there's something positive out of that, it may sound strange, but the positivity out of that is the fact that I don't need to hide the fact that I am a compulsive gambler because everybody knows. Um, one of the issues that I've I found with uh, other members is that because they, they've kept it really secretive and not really ripping anybody else off except maybe their immediate family, but there are a lot of people that don't know they're a compulsive gambler. So they may have issues, for instance, with they might be at some somewhere and there's a horse race on and they'll actually stand there or sit there and listen to it rather than walking away and uh, and i i just um i don't do that i don't do that uh, anymore i used to but um sorry what was the question again bill Sorry, i've forgotten it i was really just connecting with your family um you know the change in relationships since you recovered oh yeah yeah okay well as i think i mentioned thanks for that sorry I I found that um, putting in a genuine effort to become a, a better person was really noticed by a lot of people. Um, I, I, I wasn't going out of my way to do anything different. I was just acting differently. And that was because of my desire, first of all, to stop gambling, but also to become an honest person. Because me being a compulsive gambler, I, I'm just as addicted to lying, really, as I am to gambling. And I found that because I affected so many people, they were people were just so aware of when I was trying to rip them off, or I, I wasn't wasn't being honest. And then when I really was really putting in an effort to become a better person, it was just noticed by so many people without me having to tell them. It's not as if I was going to the people and saying, "Oh, have you noticed that I'm more honest, or I'm more honest now, and and, and I'm more responsible, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I didn't never said anything like that, but people could just could see it and with my behavior and yeah my actions so 
Yeah, I, th- I found that uh, really, really, really amazing at times that people would do that because there were times I had to question myself. I'd sometimes think, what would I, what would I do if the situations were reversed? Would I, would I be as welcoming? And I, and some days, some days I could say probably yes, and then there were many days where I could probably say no too. Mm. So yeah, it was it's it, that was that was one of the marvelous benefits of of attending GA and abstaining and then recovering as well. Yeah, it was just just an amazing, amazing place. Like for instance, I've mentioned the cricket club once or twice, but since my last bet, I remember driving past there because I live not far away from where I used to play, and I just used to look at the ground and think. I will never be welcome there. I will never play there again. And I did. I did for about four or five years after stealing. I was an under-14s coach and I stole all their fees and raffle ticket money and all that sort of stuff. And what was amazing was when I started playing cricket, I did not hear one derogatory comment from any single person that knew all about my gambling. Not one. It was just amazing. I yeah, absolutely. I still find it amazing. Yeah. Actually, after all these times, you know, it's amazing. It is amazing to that that can actually occur because if you had spoken to people about me uh, while I was gambling, it wouldn't have been very complimentary, shall I say? No, no. Particularly if you're lying as well, people people don't like a lie. That's for sure. No, no. Well, I certainly don't. But the, the, I, I've heard it said before, and I've thought it myself that sometimes what happens is eventually you end up telling so much crap that you end up starting to believe some of it too yeah and it's trying to remember who you've told what to is that that's the that's a tricky bit yeah yeah well exactly I, I had that problem many times especially at parties and stuff like that when everybody would get together and they say oh he God told me this and someone say what he told me something completely different yeah i can really relate to that yeah yeah um so what about your relationship with your mum is has that improved Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, without a without a doubt, it's improved with uh, two of my three sisters as well. Not one, but that's my other sister doesn't talk to any of us for any reason, including my mum and whatever. So yeah, it's definitely helped that relationship and with my sisters and friends, just with everybody, because uh, they can see that I have a genuine desire to stop gambling. Uh, I don't I don't listen to people talk about their gambling. Sometimes some a friend or a family member might mention something and just because they've forgotten, it's not because they're trying to test me or anything. So I just make them aware of that. But yeah, I can be really honest with my mum, can be in a position to help her at times as well, if she needs that help. And when I was gambling, I couldn't have cared less about my mum or any of her problems uh, because I didn't care or think really about any of mine, except the simple fact that I wanted to gamble. And the reality of my gambling was that I spent a lot, way more time trying to either deal and avoid the consequences of my gambling than I did actual gambling itself. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think you were meaning that you spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to cover up or get around to gambling. Yep. But it's, you know, it's... It's not something that people who don't gamble really appreciate that the difficulty of living that those two lives yep. of being a secret gambler and trying to do things without people finding out takes a lot of effort. Yep. It's not a straightforward process. No, no, well, you're, sorry, you're exactly right. Yeah, yeah, that's um, definitely, definitely the case. Yep, yep. So do you want to talk about how much, you know, sort of headspace that takes up, you know, worrying about, things that are caused because of your gambling? Yeah, sure. Um, dealing with the consequences basically involved uh, how was I going to get more money to pay uh, people that I owed money to? How was I going to talk to somebody? Or how, how was I going to deal with any issues that might have arisen as a result of my gambling? Because when I actually gambled, um, as I mentioned earlier, I could walk into a gambling venue and all my money would be gone in five five minutes but the issues that were created as a result of that were much larger and i had to spend a lot more time on uh, being homeless i mean if you're homeless you're meandering the streets you can't really help but think about the the current situation that you're in Um, just being really unreliable as as i heard and as i like to say now the only reliable part of my gambling was my unreliability and (laughs) 
Um, you know, that's so, 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 so true. Absolutely so true. So, you know, the, the, and also the amount of sleepless nights that I would have. Um, if if I did have money on the rare occasion uh, that that I was able to walk out, and as I, that would only be because the TAB had closed, I'd just be thinking, I'd either be thinking two thoughts, and that is how I was going to use that money to pay debts because I wasn't going to gamble anymore, or how I was going to win more money the next day. Because obviously back in my gambling, there was no mobile phones or no apps or anything like that. So you had to physically pretty much gamble. I had a phone account as well. So, yeah, yeah, that was um, just all-encompassing dealing with those consequences as a result of of uh, my actions through gambling. And what I like to say, what I've realised now and what I've heard is that having an addiction, I have an aversion to living in the present. So when I'm struggling with an addiction, I, I'm either living in the past or the future. And the past is all of, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda, wanted, et cetera, et cetera. And the future was, well, I used to fear going back to gambling a lot. I just really think, oh, no, that's going to be so scary going back to gambling. But now I don't fear going back to gambling because I realised that that fear was all based in the future and, and not where I'm living now. So all I have to do is not gamble now. And if I'm able to continue that process, well, then everything should be fine. But I also know that, uh, well, I, I'll tell you an example. About three weeks ago, a, a good old mate of mine from GA uh, came to a meeting and he gambled after about 15 or 16 years free of gambling. And that was a big uh, eye-opener for me. Not that I've become complacent, but it's, it's, a, it's really selfish in a way, in some ways, deriding um, some sort of benefit from other people's situations that, are, that they're, they're currently going through that are really negative for them, obviously, going back to gambling is one, especially after so many years. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that, that was, it was good and bad to hear, uh, yeah, in equal parts. So just remind, and, and I've heard members um, in the American meetings, I know people that have gambled after 25 years free of gambling. So, um, yeah, it's just really important for me to, to live in the present as much as I possibly can. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty sobering to hear of people who you, you thought had it made and really they were just like everybody else, that nobody's free of the compulsion. Um, yep. it, it's always it's always present. It's just yep. that you've just got to um, not go there, not yep. not entertain the ideas as you've as you've mm. been talking about. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I was going to say I still get thoughts about gambling, but I, I haven't had an urge to gamble in a long time. And there's a difference, you know. Like for instance, I, 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 an ad might come on the TV now. As I said, I always flick it off, which I do. But that doesn't stop me from recognising the fact that that was about gambling. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just really important for me to continue to do that uh, and just just look look for those those little windows of opportunity for when they're gambling, when I could start thinking positive about gambling. So, so a thought is a thought. And once I realise I'm having that thought about gambling, I just pretty much say to myself, well, where am I and what am I doing now? And that sort of really brings me right into the present and having to live in reality, so to speak. Yeah. So what is it that you think helped you the most to get serious about your gambling problem? Oh, being in that horrendous situation again of being homeless and helpless and hopeless as I as basically what I say. There's a saying which I'm sure you've heard and a lot of other people have heard is that I finally really became sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. Yeah. And and I was, as I said, I went to 13 meetings a week, which took a lot of effort, uh, but I, I, I put more effort than that into gambling or, uh, as I said earlier, actually having to deal with the consequences of my gambling as well. Yeah, yes. Okay, uh, if anybody would like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous, you can find them in Victoria on 03 9696 6108 or you can go online at gaaustralia.org.au for more information on recovery from compulsive gambling. 
So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Todd for sharing his gambling recovery story with us and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous helped his recovery. Thanks, Todd. Thank you very much, Bill. It was great to talk to you again, and uh, I hope I made some sense. <laughs> I think you did. I hope you're about to join us again next week when we'll be talking about the impact of addiction and the recovery journey. Uh, coming up next, we've got Balanoir, The Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Talgum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in The Spirit of War on the journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. And to take us out, we've got the Acoustic Men with Monday Morning Blues. And the song is courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. This morning, wasn't sure where I should be. My eyes were very foggy, and I'm trying hard to see, but I stayed awake too late last night. Now I need me some more sleep. But it's Monday morning, I got places to be. Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.